0: You're listening to Becoming CEO, where we share
1: our journeys as solo founders to becoming the CEO of seven-figure businesses. And these are our behind-the-scenes conversations as we figure it out. And these are things that most people just aren't sharing. You're going to launch a product. What product are you thinking about launching?
0: Well, I think the more interesting question is, and the one I would I would have led with had I had the opportunity to lead with the question is: How do you decide when to launch new products, and when you do decide, how do you decide which one? This
1: is why you should always lead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a great question, and <clears throat> I actually struggle with this because, um, uh, you know, historically my through what I was taught, which I don't think is as, uh, relevant anymore. Like, but is the whole like, Hey, up until you have one offer until like core program, until you get to a million. Um, and you know, that can even get you to, um, uh, you know, 150 250 sometimes 300k a month before you start going to add products and the reason for most people that we see in our space online you know coaching training consulting the reason that they add products is as like a a, a liquidation of ad spend and so like it's not necessarily like it's a money maker it's a hey i'm just trying to i realize that the people that buy my big thing there's not as many of them at scale. And I need to, in or, I need to be able to cover my expense to find you know, the needles, the, the tw- 20 of them a month inside the hundreds of leads a month or thousands of leads a month that I'm generating. So I must sell uh, products. That was like kind of the frame. And I know that some people still operate that way. Um, but I also see from, I forget exactly what episode we talked about it, but like more and more, I think there is buyer uncertainty. Like in, I know in my space alone, the number of times that people bring up "quote unquote" competing programs or alternative programs that they're considering uh, is at an all time high, Uh, and that extends the sales cycle. um, And like, there's a little bit of skepticism. I think. I think more people to now more than like three years ago have actually been quote unquote burned or didn't have success by joining a similar program or working with a similar consultant. And that all comes back to, I think my mindset right now is if I'm going to launch something that is, and we say product. So to me, that means maybe I'm off like a lower ticket thing. You could argue that that's not, but for me, a product is going to be a lower ticket offer and or membership of some sort that makes it one, so easy for someone to get started that might not be ready for my main thing and or two, and maybe a combination of both to, uh, to show you that my good. Oh, I cursed. Can we bleep that out editor? So we can still be PG. Um, <clears throat> so like show you and demonstrate that my stuff is good and worth being a part of. Um, that's like where I'm at with like the the why, what's my intention around having one. So I'm pretty bought in on doing it. I think where I'm getting hung up is I have a lot of IP. I would love to extract IP from – I want to do it. I don't want to have like a library or menu of like 40 products. Like I still want the fewer the better And they complement, and they have a place inside of the buyer's journey. Um, And I haven't figured out what that combo of things actually would look like. And so I'm in this indecision of, I don't know what I would create because now I'm afraid that I I would cannibalize the main thing, (laughs) but I know it works. You went, you
0: got really specific, really fast with a specific intent for launching a product and a specific way of doing it. And I think that's one example.
1: Cool. Give me the other. so. So when I say and product,
0: and maybe the, maybe the question could have been more clear. When I say product, I think about offer at large, any kind of offer, product, service <laughs> in whatever shape or form. Like, when do you decide when to launch something
1: new? For mm. you, it's yeah. You know, you've got foundations, and you've got what's the other thing? <laughs> well, we actually killed foundations, and we have just academy. Um, we do have a version of found like we kind of redid foundations as like a beginner's program for people under 10 K and that's called Launchpad. Um, and we are selling a one training. That's a part of my big program around productivity, uh, inside of our funnel. Like those are two, the launch pad and the CEO productivity system are two like, Hey, let's do a minimum viable test using stuff that we kind of already have. Um, so we also have intense. a program called
0: Launchpad. Did I steal that from you, or did you steal it from me?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I don't not think a, I knew this until now. Not a clue. All right. we, hey. we, only launched, we launched it in December. Oh, then you definitely so stole it from like, me. Okay, well, yeah, we've had I, never a knew, I never knew that you had it's it. So okay. was, how can I it's be okay. stealing
0: this? <laughs> it's okay, no worries. No harm, no foul. <laughs> so I think there's lots of reasons to launch new products. And Again, I'm using products in the broader sense of the term. Products and the, services, The yeah. one that you mentioned... Uh, and. The intent in doing so is really important. The one that you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of intents. Uh, Liquidate ad spend to the extent that people are running advertising, fair objective, and essentially um, create a stepping stone into your core offer. Right, Give some Mm -hmm. people something lower price, lower ticket to consume uh, and engage with so that they can ultimately have the belief and the trust required to enroll in your higher ticket thing. Those are a couple of examples of intents. Um, Other intents would be Uh, exploring new markets. Mm. So I'll give you an example. For us, 90-day pipeline, that's our core offer. It Mm. is targeted at B2B consultants and service providers. There's a whole market, and we we do get clients in this market, Mm. uh, but there's a whole market that we could build a strategy around targeting and optimize a product for that are professional salespeople selling a software mm. product, selling a SaaS, whatever, right? Like yeah. sales teams, essentially. We could sell our product to sales teams. We don't yeah. currently market it that way. That's another product, right? Yeah. So new markets. Um, and then the last one on my mind, at least, in terms of intent, and I'm sure there's more than this if we really think about it, is um, adding a certain type of revenue stream to the business. Mm. Yeah. So for example, if you want to add recurring revenue to the business, there's lots of ways to add recurring revenue to the business. In our right. world, people tend to think about it in terms of back-end revenue. You buy a front-end program, and then you get sold a back-end program that's more recurring. That's one way to create recurring revenue. There are many other ways for a business yeah. to hold on recurring revenue. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the, 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 the intent to create a certain type of revenue stream, whether that's recurring or otherwise, is another intent altogether.
1: Yeah, so... Would it make sense then to start with the question like, what's, what's the objective? Your, like yeah. why do this in the first place? Absolutely. So like when you're thinking about this potential as the example, the your version, but for salespeople, um, like what would the objective be? Expand market? Yes. So I think about I think about it in two ways.
0: What's the intent? Like, what do we want to accomplish from a business perspective? And also, what is the potential? Net bottom line impact for a given unit of effort. Okay. So, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say building something low ticket, and this is obviously an absurd example, right? But let's say building something low ticket and adapting your product to a new market and bolting on like a done for you recurring revenue offer. Let's say those were all the same amount of effort, which they're never going Mm -hmm. to be in the real world, but let's just say that they are, Mm -hmm. right? And the low ticket thing could maybe help you subsidize, you know, 20K a month in ad spend, best case. And the new market thing maybe is 50K a month in revenue. And the done for you thing is 20K a month in revenue. Obviously, you're going to pick the one that generates the most revenue for a given unit of effort.
1: And when you say for a given unit of effort, are you tying that or at least assuming that the, uh, the profitability of each of those new streams are Yeah, equivalent? exactly.
0: So this is where it gets complicated, right? Because yeah. what's going to take more work? That's that's one question. What has higher potential revenue? That's another question. What's more profitable? Where are the margins better? That's another question. Where's the risk higher? That's a really important question, mm-hmm. right? Because I could, for example, and this is, these are actual things that we're considering, I could bolt on a done-for-you offer and sell that to my existing client base and alumni for pretty much zero risk, like it's a very low risk proposition mm-hmm. versus go run some cold traffic to a low ticket offer super high risk and there's ways to test and validate that sure yeah. right but certainly a riskier proposition yeah so where's the risk and yeah, I, 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 mean, I would I would add to this one last question, yeah which is which offer is easier to deliver i like the idea of a 90-day pipeline for sales teams because we already do that yeah. we already have that offer versus something completely different that we haven't built before yeah
1: <clears throat> so when's your when's your launch date <laughs> well then the other question becomes like when do you do it
0: like even if you even yeah. if you know what to do uh, you know <clears throat> And I don't have a good answer to this. I'll be honest, because my 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 thinking up until now, and it hasn't changed. Although I'm probably getting closer to, I think I think 2023 is the year. And I'm I'm lying out of my teeth here because we are testing a new a new offer in Q2. I think we've made that decision, but it's a test. It's a beta. We're not like all in on it, right? But if it goes well, I think it might be something that we focus on in 2023. Up until now, my approach has been focusing the core offer. Like as long as there are things to optimize on the core offer, and there always have been, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Keep doing that until you get to a point where you either you've optimized the whole darn thing, which I don't know when that happens, right? Uh, Or you're approaching some point of market saturation, which is I think really kind of the intangible criteria that uh, Michael Masterson presents in Ready Fire Aim like you get to a point of market saturation where it just doesn't make sense to grow anymore because it's harder to grow that one offer incrementally than it would be to launch a new offer and get the same ultimate revenue impact. And I just don't yeah. think we've gotten there yet, and that's why I haven't done it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I I'd, I'd argue that you're nowhere close to the total addressable market that you currently serve with your current offer. Um <clears throat> but as a good as a good parameter for sure. Um yeah, and I think you kind of said this, maybe, but how I heard it was also like, um, you well, you said easiest to deliver. I think that is a wise uh selection, like making sure that it's easy to deliver. Um, but I have this I went through this exercise I've talked about it before. Like, I wrote down, like, how many hours a week do I want to be working? How much money do I want to be making? Like, if I'm working, what am I spending my energy on? Um, And, like, all of the answers to those questions are like my floor, not like the aspirational. Like, at a minimum, if my business allows me to work this schedule, pays me at least this, and I get to work on these things, I would do this for the next 25 years. Like, and so I would then ask, and I'm asking myself, like, by adding any one of these things, does it take me away from that? Because I have that right now. <clears throat> um, and would it require me to work on things that I don't like, work more than I want to, and I'm willing to work? Uh, and like, is that worth it? Um, so for me, that's why I think about like the how do I use what I have? Because we have a lot of stuff. Um versus like tap into this whole new well, I guess you would be using what you have too, it'd just be a whole new market. Um
0: I think you can boil it down to ultimately two reasons. I think you can take all of those intents that we talked about earlier, all those objectives, and boil it down to two reasons. Either you want to make your operation more profitable now, or you want to grow revenue. So things like low ticket, like that ultimately makes you more profitable because it subsidizes ad spend and it improves conversion into your core offer. And yeah, revenue may grow incrementally, but low-ticket offers are not a strategy to grow revenue. They're, they're a strategy to grow profit. Yeah. Um, things like you know bolting on a done-for-you offer or some kind of recurring revenue offer, making that available to your existing clients, it's not a huge revenue driver, but that incremental revenue is going to boost your bottom line. Right, It's a profit driver. Uh, as opposed to entering a whole new market and trying to create a seven-figure revenue stream in that market, that's obviously about growing revenue, um, you know, doubling or whatever it may be, right? So those are two very different scenarios. Optimize your profit now mm-hmm. or
1: grow your revenue for the long term. Yeah, and so basically what I heard out of that was, and I don't know if this is a true statement, but like, If you're trying to monetize people that are already in your ecosystem or currently coming to you with a low-ticket thing and or trying to continue to serve those people that are coming to you in a way that extends how long they stay with you, a la the backend that you talked about, or bolt-on service, that's more so than not a profitability play. Yeah. If you're going to a new market, that's likely a revenue play. My question is, if you're going to the new market And it's a revenue play, but you're using stuff that you already have and you're already profitable. Isn't it kind of just more of the same? (laughs) Like, yeah, you got to dial in the message and all that stuff, but like, that's probably going to be the biggest change is like the front end effort of messaging creative dialing in that hook that whatever but like if you know if they can fundamentally use the exact same program the 90-day pipeline is it going to be that high of an effort on the delivery front it's a good question if If, if it's just a matter of tapping into a new market and
0: it's just the marketing and the ads change but it's fundamentally the same program same process like you know what happens on the inside doesn't change then you know I would call that an optimization. That's just a that's a marketing exercise at that stage. I'm referring to uh, a scenario more so where there will need to be changes to the program and the experience. There would need to be a different version. And my example may be poor because maybe that wouldn't need to happen in this example, yeah. right? Um, but let, let's use a, Let's use a different example. Uh, here's one. We do a terrible job of enrolling recruiters into our offer we have recruiters we've done well with them gotten great results for some reason recruiters don't buy and i think the reason is that recruiters think that they're special snowflakes you know we all think that but recruiters more so they just think that their industry dynamics are so unique and that unless it's really specifically geared to recruiters you couldn't possibly help them so there would be an argument for us to say 90 day pipeline for recruiters so slightly different program it's got some specific applied material for the recruitment industry Tactics might be a little bit different. Um, It's a different program. 80% of it may be the same, but there's definitely some changes. right? And that's more so what I'm referring to, where there are actual changes to the offer itself.
1: Yeah, I like that though. Um, And per that statement, apparently we work with a lot of recruiters. (laughs) Or talk to a lot of recruiters. I'm just kidding, because a lot of people think they're special snowflakes. Everybody does in the end, but that's an example of a market that's just that takes it to a whole other level, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I haven't dealt with a lot of them. Um, So what's the offer that you're already committed to testing in Q2? Or you're committed to testing an offer, you just don't know what the offer is?
0: No, we're committed to testing a done-for-you offer to our existing client base and alumni. Doing what for them? So, 90 day pipeline involves uh, a lot of work on LinkedIn from an outreach perspective, running live workshops, um, installing tools to run Sales Navigator, and ultimately producing content. Right? And we train people on how to do that in the program. But there's a good chunk of clients who could just use the support and getting someone to help them with that. So, it would be a, you know, X thousand dollars a month, and our team runs it for you.
1: So, they're creating the content. Which means you need a writer. Uh, they're doing all the like. So how many We would, be, we gonna, would be mostly yeah. focused on video in terms of content.
0: So it would be a, it would be show up. We have somebody interview you. We record it. We clip clips from the recording and we publish it. And then we run the LinkedIn and we run the outreach and we organize the workshops and you show up and present.
1: How much would you charge for that?
0: Don't know. Good question. We're going to beta it with some. Cl- I mean, we might not beta the full scope either. We might piecemeal the beta, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the important thing with the beta is going to be results, 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 <clears throat> results. We want to get results, show proof of concept, case studies. Um, yeah. From there, it could go a number of ways. It could become just a, a back end offer, um, it could also become a new front end offer. But front end, I mean, like the core offer. It could, we could have yeah. a 90 day pipeline done for you edition that would be obviously more expensive, potentially. So lots of ways that could go, but we're committed to running a beta in Q2 and seeing how that pans out.
1: I like it. Um, And based on what we've been talking about, um, how do you decide when, all that stuff, how did you come to the decision that you're doing, the one that you just mentioned? So I think
0: for us, it was uh mostly about one our business objective was to create more recurring revenue. And there's an upper limit to how much recurring revenue you can generate from your existing back-end program because back end programs rely on front end enrollment. Frontend. Right. And so yeah. we feel, you know, reasonably good about where our back-end revenue that's recurring is at right now based on front end enrollment. Um And to otherwise make a meaningful dent into that, we're going to need recurring revenue from another source. So that's why. um, The other reason why is because we do plan on scaling a little bit, like 30 to 35% this year. But we don't want to scale without the security of more recurring revenue. So right now, think of it this way, recurring revenue to total revenue is in KPI. But if we scale... Front end revenue, it's gonna be out of KPI. And we don't want that to happen. We wanna raise recurring revenue so it stays in KPI as we grow total revenue. That's the thinking. So could we do low ticket? You know, yeah, we could do low ticket, absolutely. <laughs> Does it meet those objectives? Not at all. They're not mutually exclusive, and there may be a time and a place for low ticket, and certainly there's people
1: that are pushing that agenda. Right? Here's no. what here here's what I'm thinking. This is what I was considering doing. So, like I said. I I care about recurring is for sure. I mean, our main program has a now a, a key recurring component to it. Um, what I've noticed though is that just like I think where a bolt-on done for you makes sense, I think the uh, there's a, a certain part of our curriculum like, so we have this, this launch pad, right. And it's like, it's a good program. I really like it, but like, there's no support in it. Um, because I wanted it for a profitability perspective for the most part. But what if, um, like the kind of the, the thing I was thinking about is, well, so we've added a decent amount of like one-on-one touch points and there's events that are incorporated into our main program. What if, you didn't have access to all the content, and you didn't get kind of the dedicated one-on-one person, or you just had the, the group calls, but you got the same program that everybody else has. And so it's less about, like, it's more about like the the differentiation in price, like so a, a pricing tier, if you will, that is more accommodating to uh, the person who doesn't maybe need the one-on-one yet or it can't afford the higher ticket. It's like our content is the same. Like they still need the same to do the same things. Like, is it worth it to put it into a whole new program and separate those people or just say, hey, like you have access to this core curriculum? Um, You have access to these sets of calls at this pricing point. And if you want to ever upgrade to have a dedicated one on one person and have access to one on one calls with the other expert coaches and come to our events in person, then you could upgrade to this other tier. And or if you're going to leave, and you want to leave, and you no longer need the one on one, but you don't want to like miss out on the curriculum and all the stuff, like well you can downgrade, and then we don't again we don't lose people could stay longer, either by upgrading and or downgrading, and and I was thinking about that mainly from the point of I'm in a program right now that I draw most of the value from the in person events, and as we rolled into this year. I can't make any one of the events. And it's if I leave the program, I lose other pieces that I do value. uh, But I'm not sure the current thing that I'm the price that I'm paying it weren't like I'm able to extract the value that it's worth it if I can't be at those events. And so now it's like, all right, this person is like likely going to potentially lose me And I know that their other program doesn't give me what I'm looking for. And so like, there's like this middle ground. It's like, we've woven a lot of these ingredients in and you have to pay X price to have all of them. But as some, like, I don't need all of them or I don't want all of them. And I know that there's a slippery slope there, which is why I think the access piece is kind of an easy distinction. Just like, Hey, you can pay double the price in your program and we just do it all for you. Or if you can't afford that. Well, then we're going to give you all the playbooks to do it yourself. It's still going to save you tons of time and money. But like, if you ever want us to do it, you could always upgrade. And like having that option. I don't know. I feel like, and again, that's something that's probably really easy to test. Um, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about testing. What are your thoughts on that? Like, it's kind of a new product. So it's a whole,
0: it's a whole other objective. It's retention. Um, I don't know if this is a thing in the U S but in in Canada, we have a few major telecom providers for cell phone services, mm-hmm. and um, they're very expensive. And so, and there's like, I think, boy, you got Rogers, you got Bell, you got Telus, like three. And then there's there's three big ones and a bunch of small ones. Okay, right. And a bunch of small ones crept up in the past few years. And the big ones are more expensive. And when you try to when you try to cancel, right, you call up Roger, I'm with Rogers. You call up and Say yeah. I want to cancel. They send you. It's like it's called the retention department. They tell you that. I need to send you to the retention department. (laughs) And the retention department's job is to make you a sweetheart deal that you can't say no to. Yeah, internet companies do that around here too. So there's a whole other department dedicated to keeping customers. Because obviously it's expensive to lose customers, right? And they will make you offers that you will never find on the website, or that you'll never get as a new customer, or that you'll never find anywhere publicly available. And then people brag about it, like, "Oh, you hear what I got from Rogers? I got this much data and these many minutes." And I think this is more of a thing like a while ago when data was expensive. Now it's fairly <coughs> easy to come by, but um, but then that's where you get the sweetheart deals, right? So I think it's a whole other objective. It
1: makes sense. I mean, if it's a priority but for I, you, but I actually think it solves two objectives. Like, yeah, I think it helps keep people that were maybe considering leaving but didn't need everything. But like, I know that there's people that we can help that can't afford the current rate that incorporates all this stuff that they probably don't need yet. And I wouldn't have to really change much at all to give them the same curriculum and some decent support on that fund. And so really no fundamental changes to delivery, but I think that could increase our sales conversion because we get a lot of people that do not financially meet the criteria to be inside of our program. But like, what they're doing, their goals, all that stuff do. And so it's like, the only thing is they're not yet making enough money to warrant paying what we charge. And then they walk and it's like, we got nothing. And it's like, the low ticket program is like now too beginner. And so I'm like, okay, this it's the low ticket thing is too beginner. They kind of need a little bit of help, but it doesn't offer help. So now they're like stuck in like, I can't afford the thing that I really need because I want these things. And the lower thing doesn't have it. It's like, like, finding that sweet spot for me has been really, really challenging. Some like That's why I'm like, maybe I just have a lower tier. They still have access to most of the curriculum outside of maybe some of the team stuff because usually those people are the ones that don't have hiring needs or anything like that, like crazy. Um, so it's like the first half of our curriculum. you I are mean, in the same support. yeah,
0: Yeah, to me, I think the bottom line here is I would be very certain about, you can't be a hundred percent certain, but I'd be very certain about which direction you choose to go in when you launch a new product. Because as you can see from this conversation, it gets really, really complicated, really fast. Yeah. Right. So you gotta be, you gotta be certain that you're going in the right direction. You have the right objective, the right intent, and you're building the right thing because no matter how you slice and dice this for an existing operation with lots going on, the cost of doing this is significant. It's time, ultimately. Even the easier options, they're all time. They all cause change. They're all disruptive. So why are you doing it? Are you building the right thing? I mean, we're going to beta test some, in some fairly low-risk ways, and that might just fail miserably, and we'll save ourselves the time of finding out the hard way that it's going to fail anyways. right? So what are some easy ways that you can test? There are questions I'd be asking if you think about launching a new product to validate yeah. whether it's w- worth going in that direction. <laughs> And uh, and you probably should do it later than you think you need to, in my opinion, right? Like it, I think, yeah, probably lots of people in our position launch too many things too quickly and end up with a you know a dog's breakfast of offers that don't really fit together or
1: work together. That's a good a good uh, metaphor, dog's breakfast. I just <laughs> was like, what does my dog eat? I'm like, oh yeah, that's you don't want to see it. It's a nope. disaster. <laughs> you want nothing to do with it. Um. All right. Well, I, 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 interesting conversation, and and again, I do think the it's a healthy one, um, for sure. Again, depending upon what what you know, listener, your objective is, uh, so I guess sit on it, marinate on it, beat it up, because if what what you're saying is true, you're probably considering it slightly too early. <laughs> It's like getting tattoos. My mom always said, imagine having the tattoo for at least a year. And if you still want it a year later, then you can get it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, looks like I'm getting a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, hopefully this was useful. Uh, I would love to see uh, if you enjoyed this and you have questions or you're thinking about launching an offer, take a screenshot. Uh, of this and or you listening to this episode and tag either myself uh, or Ahmad in, the, uh, in Instagram and or Twitter or your favorite platform of choice with what product you're, you're considering. And maybe let's start the dialogue there. We'll see if that's a completely miserable call to action. But let's start the dialogue somewhere. You know how to find us. And we'll see you guys next time.